0: Hi from Los Angeles, this is Rabbi Erez Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines, the podcast where we speak about the intersection of sports and faith. This morning, we are joined by one of my new heroes, one of my new friends, one of my new role models. We have met a lot of sports broadcasters over the year working for ESPN and working for different networks. But this young man has a very compelling story, an inspiring story that we cannot wait to hear. We are so thrilled to be joined by Justin Borsis of the sports broadcaster of Moore Park College and a disability advocate. Justin, it's so great to meet you and to see you. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hello, Rabbi. So great to be here. Happy to, happy to join. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about sports and faith, and then
0: we're actually going to talk about the disability advocacy world and special needs, because that's how we... We're connected through an amazing organization called Respectability. If you have not heard about or seen Respectability, please check it out, and Justin's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But um, I want to begin talking about the two identities that you really carry, um, one newer than the uh, the other one. But first, a individual with special needs, uh, born with cerebral palsy. Um, But now forming an identity as a sports broadcaster. So let's start with the first piece and really who is Justin Borses and uh, your story. Go for it.
1: So, you know, my family considers us, they call us the miracle babies. I have a twin sister, Emily, Mm -hmm. and we were born three months premature. I was due in May and born in February 19th. And we we were so small, we could fit in one hand. So we Mm -hmm. were hooked up to machines and wires and, and all that stuff at birth. And, you know, there's a funny story. My dad was on a golf course the day we were born and my mother was cooking an egg in the kitchen. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was just at the house, but my dad had no cell service and couldn't, wasn't told that, you know, my, my mother was in labor. So somebody from his tournament, whatever he was playing, races out in a golf cart and says your wife's in labor you need to leave and he goes what <laughs> what what's happening um, i'm only on he,
0: the 10th hole <laughs>
1: yeah basically he takes his car and races over to the hospital so when we were born my brain was hemorrhaging i was bleeding um which is what caused the cp i have spots on my brain you can look at through scans that you could see that there's sort of these this matter on my brain that you can tell that's what causes it. Um, And my sister had a blood clot and we were given a less than 5% chance to live. Wow. Um, We both made it, obviously we're fine. Um, My sister um, is also part of respectability uh, in her own advocacy and in her own way. And then I joined as well first actually, but CP was, You know, not what any parent necessarily sits there and goes, "Um, now we have to deal with this. Okay. Um, And we just sort of navigated it. We were in and out of hospitals the first couple of years dealing with stuff. Um, My dad became a stay-at-home dad to take care of me and my sister. Um, And in the beginning, for me, the CP was about, obviously the basis, learning if I could walk, learning if I could speak, um, learning if I could go to school in general education, or if I would need special education. Um, I was in a special ed preschool in the very beginning, just to see what my motor function and what my motor skills would be. Um, But, you know, growing up, and I was very lucky to have parents who didn't treat me as if I had a disability, but understood how to speak to me in a way that I knew what my limitations might be, how I can modify certain things and how I can work within my own body to figure things out. Um, And very early on, that's how we navigated things. And I started to explore what kind of passions that I could actually pursue that could work with it.
0: So where did the sports thing come in? Was it like in kindergarten when you love the Dodgers or the Lakers and then you, yeah. So pretty go much,
1: I mean, I, when I was really young, I wanted to be a composer and a conductor of an orchestra. And I sort oh. of threw, the, threw that out the window. Once I realized they told me I should probably conduct with my right hand, which is not my stronger one. Mm. And I went, okay, let's pivot, <laughs> let's pivot. Let's find a new career choice. Um, Sports for me, you know, obviously I grew up in L.A. and the greatest broadcaster in the history of the world to me was Vince Scully. Vince Scully. You got there's, it. There's nobody there's nobody better. There's nobody who can top what he can do. Um, and when I was little, I used to sit. I had an old GameCube, which doesn't exist anymore. It's out of out of order. Mm-hmm. And I used to play video games and I used to mute the TV and and call the games as mm-hmm. if I was a broadcaster. And that's basically- yeah,
0: I did the same thing, but it was as if I was a rabbi giving sermons. So we were okay. we, we went through the same path. Similar,
1: yes, <laughs> similar methods, different different outcomes. But um, the the interesting thing was that's how I started to learn. You know, I didn't look up terminology. I didn't go to a computer and say, "What does this really mean?" I actually just started to watch more TV. Mm -hmm. As as funny as it sounds, and and there are people in this world who go, you watch too much TV, you know. That's how I started to pick up on things that were, you know, important to know or terminology that would always be used. Um, And I also understand. So hold on a second.
0: The advice to children out there is watch more TV. Just want to make sure that's correct, right?
1: uh, Well, I'll let I'll let the parents decide. (laughs) it, It didn't hurt me, but. (laughs) <laughs> you know, of course, everybody parents differently. Right. You, you all get to choose. No, no, no. But you, we... I mean,
0: you turn the sound off. And so right. as, you were, as you were turning the sound off, right. Were, it, were you having other people listening to you? How do you, you know you're doing this right?
1: Um, First of all, I'm the loudest person in my home. We're all <laughs> loud, but, but I am definitely the one that, that has the most uh, projection in my voice. So My parents were always hearing me, whether it be from down the hall or whether it be just in the other room, they would hear me and they go, how do you know that stuff? I didn't tell you anything. And I'm like, well, I just watch TV, Dad. (laughs) I just listen. Um, But I also understood, even from a very young age, that I needed to find a career choice that I could physically do. Um, You know, there were a lot of times and my parents could tell this as well. I used when I was young. I used to say I wanted to be a baseball player or I wanted to be an athlete. And my parents very gently, very calmly said, honey, that's probably not going to happen. We want you to dream, but let's keep it realistic. Um, And I had to learn at a very early age that there were going to be things I physically wasn't capable of. Mm. Not that I couldn't enjoy my life, not that I couldn't find other things to do and other things that would be great within my life but i couldn't always shoot for the sort of most ridiculous option Mm -hmm. um and so they said what is an what is an alternative within the sports field that you think you could do and i went well i can talk (laughs) i can talk and so i said let's run with this and since i've been seven that's what i've been chasing
0: and so were you involved with any sports on the physical level as a kid? Either um, I played, calendar, Challenger, baseball. I played yeah.
1: Challenger Division Baseball, yes. Love that. Baseball is my favorite sport. It's my family sport. Uh, bowling, too. Big bowlers. Mm-hmm. But um, baseball, and for us, it was just a way to get me some physical activity. My cognitive ability was there to a point where I didn't need to, you know, learn how to learn what it meant to hit the ball or or that kind of stuff right um for uh, for me it was about the exercise and about getting outside and we didn't keep score there wasn't it wasn't like a competition it was just everybody out there having fun and you know i had tons of friends interestingly my first team as a challenger division baseball player was the giants Hmm. no i did not enjoy that
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're probably aware of this and probably a little too young to remember, but Jim Abbott, who founded the uh, Challenger Little League with, uh, you know, physical disability, one arm. I remember that day when he pitched a no hitter for the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a brother of special needs, a blessed memory, who also I benefited from that. That Challenger Little League really sticks with me in my mind, being a coach and a participant as well. Um, did you ever have a chance to meet Vince Scully and any other no. uh, any other role models out there in the broadcasting world that you uh, took after over the years of your childhood?
1: Um, well, Jason Benetti is obviously a big one. I think we talked about that yep. just before we came on air. He's another one who lives with cerebral palsy but is working at the top of the profession with ESPN and and Chicago Sports and also ABC affiliates out in Chicago. Um, and he's obviously the biggest role model to me right now. Cause he's sort of near my age group mm-hmm. is doing this at the top of the profession and, and doing it well, while enjoying what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's what I love, you know, they don't put him out there as sort of this poster boy or, right. you know, eye candy. They really believe that he is good at what he does. He wants to do it for a living and his resume speaks for what he's doing, not just because he's living with a disability and they want to put him on camera for any sort of advocacy.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And that's
1: what I want for my career. I don't want to be put on some brochure, even though, even though it does serve a purpose, you know, I'm not going to deny that. Um, But what I'd rather have some goal in mind or a mission statement, which, you know, we can, we'll get into respectability as well. And what that means Absolutely statement too, but that's what I want, you know, some sort of forward thinking,
0: some great uh, clips of Benetti with Bill Walton. I don't know if you've yes. seen, and uh, yeah. he did a lot of UCLA games, but then he, I believe he went to the white Sox and he did some uh, funny stuff with that.
1: How he manages um, Bill's stuff is, you know, admirable.
0: Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I want to shift focus for a second in terms of the Jewish community because I know you were surrounded by a loving Jewish community that um, both advocated for you and you became just a, a model within that community. Tell us about your um, upbringing within the Jewish community. I believe it was in Thousand Oaks, California, out here. Just a couple actually, of miles actually,
1: around. Porter Ranch.
0: Porter Ranch. Um, Got it. But I
1: Shalom, was, Shalom. Was, Beautiful. My, was my synagogue. My rabbi, Rabbi Lutz, while he was there, yep. um, you probably know him within your circles. Of
0: course. Um, um,
1: he's... Amazing! I love. And so, uh,
0: what did you either enjoy about the community, or what parts did you partake in, and what parts were challenging growing up? Uh, growing up with cerebral palsy within the Jewish community, I think that's um, also an important thing to to note.
1: You know, one of the greatest parts about it was I've known those people since I was three years old. Those are my friends since I was in preschool. My sister went to preschool there. I came every Shabbat. Um, And the amazing part was the disability was never, not only not an issue, but it didn't have to be at the forefront of every conversation. There didn't need to be this, oh my God, what is he going to be able to do Mm -hmm. constantly? Um, The greatest part about it is they are still my closest group of friends. They are still the people I rely on the most when I feel down or I feel sad. I text them first. I text Mm -hmm. those. That's my group. Um, that I go to, if I'm in need of something, um, if there were any challenges, it all based, it's all based for me physically. Um, obviously you can tell I'm talking to you right now and it's, everything's fine. The mm-hmm. movement was always the problem. Um, you know, I was in a walker as a child. And then as I got older, we used we started to use crutches. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't necessarily hang out with people. Or enjoy outside functions like a Purim Carnival or some sort of beach cleanup for the environment. or um, Because the safety was a concern, my stamina was a concern, um, my ability to be able to pick things up or carry things or, or enjoy the entire festivities would be an issue. Um, and that was always hard because that's where my disconnect comes in. You know, you mm-hmm. look at the social media feed or you look at, mm. at pictures and you go, look at all these people having fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting on the couch sort of. Mm-hmm. And I was always a homebody and I never really enjoyed it. I'm an extrovert by nature. I like to be out. I like to be with people. And I never blamed anybody because it's not its not their fault. They, it's not like they did anything that would have excluded me from it. In fact, they invited me to events and I would mm-hmm. always get text messages. It was just the nature of my life. I just couldn't go out and, and do, especially if I relied on my parents for things like transportation and safety and making right. sure I was okay. Um, but my friends always helped me get food. They always made sure I was taken care of. And I was informed to be also for TAS all the time with my theater department and the department there. And oh, so much fun.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned the times that you're sad and mental health is a huge piece of the world right now over the last two years. Absolutely. Children and adults alike. Even here at Sinai Temple, we have a new mental health center. It's never been part of synagogue Jewish life before. But you mentioned that you went through very difficult times times of depression, times of sadness, times of suicidal thoughts. You had to learn to walk again, right? People just complain when they put their foot on the ground and it hurts because they're getting out of bed in the morning. Where did you find that support? And how can the world around you and us do a better job today in acknowledging that that need is there?
1: Um, it takes a village. You know, the the, the the saying is true. It was never one person. It was never two people. It was five, six, 10, 15, 20. Mm-hmm. You know, over the course of six months, a year, rehab, you know, I had major surgery when I was 10. Um, they cut me open and basically put me back together. My feet mm-hmm. were sort of turned in like a penguin. I don't know if you can see my hand mm-hmm. there. And they had to restructure it to a point where my legs were straight um, so that my gait was different. Um, so I was in cast for six months and they put pins wow. in and they took them out mid year. So I came to the hospital and they pulled them, you know, my dad's sitting there with a lollipop in his mouth, ho- trying to, you know, not go pale, He's squeezing my hand, I'm screaming and pain, you know, about as miserable physically. And then emotionally, the, the difficult part of it was the fact that I was home being mm-hmm. in cast at that point, I couldn't go to school. So, you know, they hired a tutor privately through the school programs and I was home for a year and, you know, I didn't get to see my friends and I was sitting in the same place. So the, the biggest thing was I'm a big believer in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I know everybody's got a different thing that they might want. Some might want yoga. Some might want other forms of exercise. Some will just go to a friend, but for me therapy and in some ways medication really helped you know, I, I had the therapist on speed dial. I had my friends on speed dial. Um, I had appointments every week. Um, and then, you know, more recently as I've gotten older, we, we switched to anxiety medication and, and that helps me too. It just keeps me at an even keel. Mm -hmm. Um, but really, you know, my dad will give me the biggest kick in the butt and go get off, get off your tiny hiney and Mm -hmm. go do what you got to do. Um, and I sat in bed one day and I went, you got to stop playing victim, and and start sort of just taking control and and busting your butt, and you'll be fine. You know, hmm. I'm very lucky that my grandfather, who will be watching this later or is watching this now, um, is actually a licensed psychiatrist. So mental oh, wow. health is a big part of my my family history. We have history mm-hmm. of mental health problems. So he was the first one to drive in from Palm Springs as a retiree and and as the emergency contact sort of okay he needs help I'm I'm packing and, and leaving now with grandma but um yeah so so therapy is a big key for me um
0: yeah you know uh I mean the, the second time you actually have said this though it's a lot of you right like you said I'm not going to play the victim it, it takes the packs- village yeah, no, Which it's, it's your, your strength is admirable and just uh, an unbelievable inspiration to to others as well. So we spoke about your journey having cerebral palsy from birth. We spoke a little bit about the sports journey that we're gonna get back to. And now, when did you realize that you can be a disability advocate? RespectAbility is a fairly new organization, specifically here in the West Coast. We've been very grateful at Sinai Temple to partner with them specifically for high holidays um, and our captioning during our two years of streaming now. Um, When did he realize that, you know what, I'm a sports broadcaster, but I can bring the identity of having a disability to the world for so many others who don't have a voice like me? How did that journey come about?
1: So Rabbi Lutz, who I just spoke about briefly before, sent me a message out of the blue. He said, hey, I think this organization would be really good for you. Um, One of our mutual, one of his mutual um, students, you know, Alex Howard, who's also a member of RespectAbility, was a part of it. And he thought that I would be a perfect candidate. And so I decided, Hey, why don't I apply? Why don't I email these people uh, and see what they're about? And I always wanted to do that, but have it come about in the right way. Um, you know, I spoke about the fact that I didn't want to be the, always be the person out front in the brochure mm-hmm. or sort of there as, as, some sort of tokenism. And what's great about respectability is that there's actually a mission statement and there's Mm -hmm. actually some, a goal that we're trying to achieve. It's more than just tell your story and hope people, it resonates with people. You know, they're working on legislation at Capitol Hill to get us more funding and to get us more physical accessibility. They're working on mental health advocacy um, and other forms of that kind of stuff. So, when, when I got the the email and I went to them, they said, we need more people in the sports field. We need more people because primarily the people they have right now are um, in the entertainment mm-hmm. side of the media. And we would love to have you. And I got in contact with Jake, who, who you and I have been corresponding yep. with. and And he said, well, let's do it. And from then on, I said, this is what I want because there is i'm not the only one anymore mm-hmm. i'm not the only one being the voice there's a group i'm not the only one sitting at the table going this is what i want this is what we need how do we get it because for years my dad and i were the only ones in the room mm-hmm. screaming at the top of our lungs going we need these accommodations we need this funding we need this equipment we need and and it drove us nuts that Not that there weren't other people involved because we knew there could be, but that we were, we were always the ones at the top of the ticket. Um, and it was nice to have, finally have a group that I can go to and be like, let's work on this. Let's do this. Let's, and you can share your stories and you can share your common, um, struggles and and that kind of thing, because there's some, there's always commonality.
0: Absolutely. Um, actually yeah. my
1: friends you yeah, know no. I, t- I text them i talk to them we're chatting constantly how was hanukkah how was thanksgiving um so it's a new group of friends it's a new network which is amazing
0: i want to give a shout out to matan Koch, who uh, i don't know his exact title out in los angeles but he basically is respectability out here in los angeles a good friend yeah. of mine all the way back from my times at the jewish Theological seminary of america and just so grateful for what he's brought to uh, our community, the Los Angeles Jewish community, and the, the larger larger country as well. Um, faith and sports. You know, I have people on this show like major broadcasters, Jay Billis, Dan Shulman, Seth Greenberg, Andy Katz, the whole, the whole crew of college basketball. And I ask about their faith journeys, and it's fascinating because behind what you see on TV are major faith stories, right? And here right. you just told your story about growing up in the Havad Shalom and Rabbi Lutz. And thank you. Matan is the VP Workforce Leadership and Faith Programs. Thanks, Jake. Um, and the right, that's right. the faith piece. And the sports and course, piece, which we'll get back to in a second about how you got to be a broadcaster at Moore Park. But do these worlds for you ever intersect? Or the question that I asked everybody on the show, is there an intersection of sports and faith that you have
1: seen? There is, but to me, it doesn't come from scripture or 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 um the traditional sense of, of reading that kind of stuff. It comes from a, a, an inner belief that you can do something. Um, and then the, the faith to take a leap and go can, can take a nosedive if you have to, but give it a whirl and see how it goes. And, you know, faith in your colleagues, faith in your crew. Mm, nice. Um, well, I mean, we have to remember that, yeah, I'm the face in front of the camera, but there's 15, 20, 30 people behind the camera that are making you look good
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that you're relying on to be that source. Um, so faith for me has always been more about community. It's, yes. it's le- to me, it's, it's less about the, the nuts and bolts of what a scripture might say, whether it's Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, whatever. And more about the fact that, again, I'm with the people I've been with since I was three years old. We're celebrating the holidays together. I've sung in choirs for years. I'm currently a member of the choir at TRZ. Oh, um, no way.
0: Rabbi Sella, the best. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love Rabbi Sella. He's great. <laughs> it's hilarious, too. Um, oh, that's awesome. But, yeah, um, my grandparents were a part of the choir there for 30 years. Wow. And I finally said, you know, I like to sing. Why not? And that's been the bulk of the faith for the last few years is, is going back to services because again, like I said, it was hard for me to do the beach cleanup or the, the outreach. Mm. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I immerse myself in services? Not, not again, not from a scripture side, but a spiritual side, Mm -hmm. from the side of singing and from the side of feeling something. Um, and, and I went back and I said, let me join the choir. And i have been with, again, since my grandparents have been there for thirty years, it's like you know I call everybody aunt and uncle over there. It's aunt Phyllis <laughs> because they're all the same. They're all the same people that saw me in diapers. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and that roots itself in family traditions as well. I used to, you know, we go to services Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur every year. We have the Passover seder. We do Hanukkah as a family. Obviously, with COVID, the last few years all different, before. right? You know, adjust and forego certain holidays, but that's where it's rooted is just in the tradition of this is what we've done. This is what you can do. This is what you enjoy. And I make my own adjustments from there as to what I believe and what I mm-hmm. want to practice. Um
0: so I want to ask you a question about how you then got finally behind the mic, right? You said, great. It's easy to do it when you just uh, turn on the TV and, make, right. and, and and mute it and you become Vince Scully. It's a lot harder to actually do it in real life when you are the voice that not just one person is hearing, but the entire world who is listening and watching. So you had to find that path and you did. You did. Take us to uh, that path towards the seat behind the uh, microphone and the camera in Moorpark College.
1: So the, the first day of orientation, we're supposed to go a week before school starts. I was preparing to be a student at Moorpark um, to get my general education done before I transferred to CSUN, which is where I am now.
0: That's Cal so State Northridge for those watching.
1: Yeah. Cal State Northridge. Sorry. Should, uh, the Matadors. Go, go with the entire title there. But um, when I went to orientation, we're going to get our student IDs and this amazing professor Chris, Kristen Sullivan, who's the head of our ASMC department there, turns to me as we're getting them. And she goes, after I told her what I like to do, she says. I'm sorry, just should...
0: to find ASMC for the audience as well? Um,
1: Associated Students of Park College. There, It's Got basically it. the student run program for our, um, what we want to get done for the school. Got it. Um, and she runs that department. And she said, you should meet Ryan Ketchum, who at the time was our lead play-by-play announcer for all of our sports coverage. He's a big, tall redhead. I will be sending him this link when this is over. (laughs) We still talk all the time, but so I go out of the room and my dad's with me. And he screams down the corridor that we're walking down. He goes, Ryan, as loud as he can. And he turns and he walks over and I take over the conversation and i say hey this uh, this is who i am I, this is what i like to do is there any room for you to help me join this this broadcast i hear you do a, a youtube live stream um and he said absolutely um you know and i asked him you know what what's the attire do we wear suits is it polos are we in jeans you know full suits ties full nine yards for for home games and he says first game's in two weeks and i went I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Um, Okay, I guess I will be seeing you in two weeks. Fast forward to the first day of school, and I'm walking into my first theater class for the year, sat down, who's next to me, but Ryan, and then in walks my other broadcast partner for the season, Nick Federico, who was there for the first few years we were doing it. So it was... It was very fortunate and I guess you know if you believe in superstition, it was meant to be.
0: No, we believe um, in faith, it, Justin. <laughs>
1: yeah, faith. <laughs> that's right. If you believe in faith, it's it's meant to be. Yes. And um, I, I went, I turned and I was like, how how is it possible that the two people I'm gonna be working with nice. happen to be sitting right next to me in class? Um and Two weeks later, I'm in a full suit and tie and I'm working my first game, which to this day, I cannot remember. Hmm. I cannot remember a single, it was such a blur. I cannot remember a word I said. I can't remember what I was looking at, what I studied, because you're so, I was so nervous. Of course, you're always so nervous the first time. Mm -hmm. I still am. I still get the butterflies. But um,
0: that means you love what you do.
1: Yeah. If you don't get the butterflies, walk away because it's just, it's not worth. Sticking around, um, and now as we sit here, I'm year three broadcasting for them. I've since transferred away from the college itself, and I'm at CSUN for school. Um, I've taken over as head by play-by-play by play man. I was color commentator for the first couple of years, um, and I've taken over the administrative duties and, and sort of managing the broadcast itself.
0: Wow! So, uh, what does Justin Borsi's journey look like in the next five years?
1: Next five years, well. <coughs> I would like to have graduated college by that point. Um, Beautiful. obviously. And I think my parents would agree. Um, <laughs> and I would also want to at least have some sort of starter job in the actual field itself. I'm not asking for some sort of play by play gig for Sunday night football. Although if that happens, amazing.
0: Monday night, Monday night, Sunday, Monday we'll leave alone.
1: yeah. Sunday, Al Michaels has got to be there till he yeah, decides please. decides he wants to hang it up. But, um, you know, it's to get that starter job somewhere. And every one of my friends is in that same position, whether it's Absolutely. reporting, whether it's a reporting gig in some hole in the wall in Texas or, mm-hmm. or you're, you know, it's hard to get the first job out of LA because LA is such mm-hmm. a competitive market that rarely do you get that first gig in the place you're actually trying to look for.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: at at the moment, it's about building the resume. I also do high school football and high school oh, nice. sports for Conejo TV, which is a Simi Valley affiliate. We run all the sports for Ventura County um, out there as well. So catch our games on Friday nights for football and various games throughout the week.
0: It's actually amazing because with the advent of technology, there's so many more avenues for broadcasting. Right. Like you would right. never have Conejo TV. I don't know. Seven years ago, right? Like, and
1: again, it's all student-run, high school interns, and they've kept right, some of the right. college students on. They've kept me on to um, sort of head that as well, and to teach and to learn.
0: And since and, you have, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. I sorry. Since you have connected
0: with respectability and sort of combining these worlds of uh, faith and sports and disability, have you seen any changes or any feeling of? more feeling of inclusion uh, since you began telling your story on a larger level.
1: Not only that, but there was a change in myself as to how I chose to look on camera. Mm -hmm. Um, For the first year or so of our broadcast, I didn't want to be in the wheelchair and it had nothing to do with the shame of the disability or anything like that. I was never ashamed of it. It was the fact that I wanted the work to speak first and I felt that by wow. sitting in the chair, there was gonna be this eyeball on the chair. And then you're gonna get questions in our YouTube chat and you're gonna get questions on campus. Why is he in a chair? What's hmm. I'm like, I and I and I did that out of respect for my colleagues too. I I wanted the fact that we were studying together and the fact that we were getting paperwork to speak for the fact that we were gonna showcase this on camera. But as recently of this year, I said to myself, you know, after joining RespectAbility and talking with people, I'm like, you know, it's too much work for me to transfer in and out of chairs all the time. I get tired very easily. Nobody's, nobody's really going to make a big deal about this at this point. You know what? They've seen me for two years. I've talked about it on and off on air, sort of making subtle comments here and there if they apply to, to something we're talking about. I'm just going to sit in the chair. And, you know, for the first game this year, I was just so much more comfortable. Hmm. Just, I was just, it just felt like I wasn't tight. I wasn't, I mean, I'm always nervous, which makes me tight and stuff like that. Um, And I always struggled at looking at the camera. That was something that I'm still working on because it's not another human being. I'm very good with the face-to-face contact. Mm -hmm. When you're staring in front of a black screen And you're sitting there and it's not giving you any sort of reaction. Right. As as if, you know, as as I'm talking to you right now, you're giving me something. You're smiling. You're nodding. There's Mm -hmm. something going on. You're staring into a void of hopefully a thousand people, if that's the most we've gotten on the broadcast this year. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea what they're thinking while you're talking. So I'm working on being comfortable looking into a camera with nothing coming back at me. Um, Right. But I
0: think what you're saying also is that you're becoming more comfortable within yourself. You said physically, yeah. right? But also, physically. I'm just going to be a rabbi for a moment because this week we read the portion of Joseph. And uh, Joseph, when he sees his brothers and gets the reunification, he looks very different. And he says twice, he says it in Hebrew, "Ani Yosef," I'm Joseph. And then he says in Hebrew, actually, Gushu Eli, come close to me, approach me. And then he says it again. I'm your brother Joseph, and it reminds me like your story, right? Like I am who I'm going to be. Right. I have to sit somewhere different in order to make you acknowledge that I have to be like you. I, I have, greatest, that, that is beautiful.
1: And the greatest moment in my Jewish life was my bar mitzvah. You know it, and again, less to do with the actual service and more to do with the fact that all my friends were there. We had I had like seventy people at my. My party, and it was, I had it was the greatest day of my life. I mm-hmm. had a smile from ear to ear. I, obviously, I was in the Walker at the time. Rabbi and and Cantor Roar at the time. She was the Cantor there. I also had Cantor Patty Linsky, who um, was is now an emeritus at TAS. But she, um, they made sure everything was accommodating. I was up on the Bima with my sister. And we were just hanging out and I got to carry the Torah around the whole sanctuary in the wheelchair. And,
0: Mm. you
1: you know, we have to remind ourselves that modification is okay. Yes. that We don't have to always do. We do to the best of our ability within the parameters we set, not within what somebody else decides they think they can do for you or not within even something that's, a bit too far out of your control mm-hmm. we have to decide what we can handle mm-hmm. and, and that's been the biggest thing is decide what you can handle and decide what you're able to accomplish
0: wow i, I love that <laughs> amazing amazing um i want to close with actually you teaching us something right so now you're a bit of everything right i said you're a disability advocate you're a Man of faith, and you are a budding sports broadcaster. what's the message to us, right? as all three as those individuals? it's been a rough two years. we all know that in this yeah. world it's right? still going and, on we haven't it hasn't it's still going on, and we don't know what will come next, but give us a message of hope, Justin, of how we can get through the day and make tomorrow better than today
1: the The best message I've received from every person I've talked to and every therapist in America is you can only control what you can control. Mm. Um, Make sure that the greatest message of hope I can send is that make sure that what you're doing is not only what you want, but it's something within the parameters, like I just said, something within the parameters of what you can do and what you can control. Don't Mm. set a goal that you think is too far-fetched for your own mind. Right. Only set the goals that you know you are willing to accomplish and that you know that you think you can handle. And of course, ask for help along the way. You can't do mm-hmm. anything alone.
0: That's important. I have,
1: there's, a, there's a network of people from all walks of life that I have um, that I've asked for help from. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, that's another big one. Absolutely. Make sure that you have... Somebody, anybody, could be one person, could be five people. Um, because I haven't gotten to this point without connections like this. Now mm-hmm. with you um, connections within the more part community um, and faith and, and respectability that has gotten me to this point. So.
0: Love it. Love it. Justin, this is the first time that we uh, are meeting, but I know it's not going to be the last. I hope that you actually can come to uh Sinai Temple to speak to our community, to our schools, to our children, who uh, <laughs> would love, love, love to hear your story. You know, behind me, there's a book that's called Jewish Sports Legends, and it's filled with wonderful Hall of Fame athletes who some are very famous and some are not as famous. But if there's somebody that I need to add into that book today, I know it's you, Justin Borsis. Oh, I you uh, inspire that. us, and we really, really look forward to your journey ahead, and we want to be on that journey with you. We are so grateful to uh, Justin Borsis, mark Park sports broadcaster of all different types of sports, Conejo TV, as we just heard, um, a disability advocate for respectability, and as we like to say on Rabbi on the Sidelines, simply a mensch, a wonderful person. It's good to have you, Justin, and we uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, everybody. Yeah.